Well, amen. Thank you, Chloe. Um, am I the only one who could imagine Henry just shredding the guitar when that was playing? Like, <laughs> unreal. Absolutely. Uh, well, this evening, uh, we're going to be continuing on in a series that we started last week, uh, looking through the books of the Old Testament. Uh, and we're going to be looking through uh, the books of the Old Testament through a Christocentric lens. And what that basically means is we're going to look and we're going to find Jesus in the book. Because from beginning to end, Scripture points to Jesus Christ. It's all about him. It's always been all about him. Uh, and there are so many things in the book of Exodus that teach us of the one who would come. The one who has come in our case um, and would lay down his life for the freedom of the world, for the salvation of sins. And so um, we're not going to we're going to be obviously jumping all the way through the book of Exodus. We're not going to sit and start reading it all the way through word by word, uh, because that's just impractical um, this evening. But we are going to pick out some key themes as we go through the book of Exodus uh, together. The book of Exodus picks up 400 years after the book of Genesis. Last week, as we looked at the book of Genesis, we we learned of many things and we left it with Joseph in Egypt. Joseph has been uh, was sold off by his brothers into slavery in Egypt, but God stepped in as he always seems to do, and God elevated Joseph to a position of power and authority in Egypt. And it meant that the the people of Israel, the Israelites, God's chosen people, that they had a place of prominence in Egypt. But what has happened? 400 years have passed. Jacob, Joseph's father, has died. Joseph has died. Pharaoh has died. A couple of times, three or four times probably. And uh, what has happened is this. Exodus chapter 1 and verse 7 tells us that the people of Israel had grown great in number. They They had been fruitful and had multiplied as God had instructed Adam and Eve in the garden. But Pharaoh is not the Pharaoh of Joseph. And Pharaoh, rather than seeing them as a blessing, sees them as a threat. He sees them as a nation within his nation of Egypt that could raise up and cause a rebellion, that could cause an overthrowing of his power. So he saw a direct threat to his power. And then he made a decree, a commandment amongst the people. And he said, okay, any Hebrew boy under the age of two must be killed. As they're born, he instead the first few chapters of Exodus tell stories of midwives who were instructed that when they were at the Hebrew birth, if it was a boy, kill it. If it was a female, let it live. And that's, that was the way that it was. He saw the people of Israel as such a threat to his power. And then the first couple of chapters of Exodus also tell the story of this Hebrew boy who was spared. This Hebrew boy by the name of Moses. And uh, Moses was, you know the story of Moses, I'm sure you learned it. If you were fortunate enough to grow up in Sunday school, you would have learned about Moses in the basket and being pushed uh, down the river and being hidden in the bulrushes by his mother. 
and how his sister keeps watch and the the basket drifts downstream and is intercepted by none other than Pharaoh's daughter. The very one who had made this decree, the very one who had commanded that the young boys no longer live, finds this baby boy. And it's an amazing story. Go and read the first few chapters of Exodus. Moses is then given into the care of his mother, who is paid to babysit him. His mom is paid to rear him, bring him up, and she brings him up with these Hebrew values until he is old enough to then go um, and be part of Pharaoh's household. But he never forgets his Israelite roots. And he sees the oppression that the people of Israel are under. Because not only has Pharaoh made this decree regarding the young boys, he's also made a decree regarding bricks. He says to his slave drivers, and there's no better word that I can find for that. He says to his slave drivers, when the Israelites are put to work and they're making bricks, take the straw away. Now, straw was a key component. You see, what had happened was this, that they were provided with the straw and they would make bricks in return for wages, in return for, in essence, their keep. But Pharaoh demands that the straw be taken away, that they must source the straw themselves and they must actually keep up their quota. Regardless of whether the straw or not is provided, you've got to keep the quota that you were reaching whenever the straw was provided. This obviously was impossible. This led to great oppression. This led to the people of Israel being downtrodden and beaten and crying out to the Lord. But it also leads to this uh, man, Moses, a member of Pharaoh's household, seeing the oppression, seeing the pain that is caused and taking matters into his own hands. Long story short, he takes the life of one of the Egyptian slave drivers, buries him in the sand, and then he's confronted by a pair of Israelites as he tries to split up their fight. And one turns to him and says, are you going to do to us what you did to the Egyptian? And he is filled with fear. And he, the scripture tells us that he runs off to the land of Midian, gets married, and works for his father-in-law. I love my father-in-law, but I couldn't work for my father-in-law. But he works for his father-in-law, Jethro. And while he's working and tending to Jethro's sheep, there is an amazing instance that happens. And this instance shows us all about the God who hears. This is a key theme of the book of Exodus. And it's a key theme of our lives as well. We have a God who hears Isn't it good that as we had our time of prayer, we knew that those were not just empty words that were falling on deaf ears, but rather it was meaningful because we know and we have the hope that we are praying to a God who hears. And the God who hears is revealed throughout the book of Exodus. But perhaps no better in Exodus chapter 3. This will be a very familiar story to many of you. Moses has seen a bush that is on fire but is not being consumed. We call it the burning bush. 
even though it wasn't actually combusting. And naturally he was intrigued. So when you're intrigued by something, don't you go and have a wee Jeffrey Duke. You go and have a wee nosy. What's that? And Moses walks over. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face, because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Parasites, Hevites, and Jebusites. They teach you how to say those words in Bible college, by the way, right? <laughs> those are a mouthful. But here we, here we learn first of all, that we have a God who hears. His people were oppressed. His people were up against it. His people seemed to be hard pressed from every side. It didn't seem to matter what they did. It wasn't good enough in the eyes of their oppressors. Have you ever felt like that? Where it doesn't seem to matter what you do or what way you do things or no matter how hard you try that for some people it's just not good enough for some people it's not enough and god sees the oppression of his people and god sees the oppression that you face he sees the difficulties that you go through he sees the heartache He sees the pain. He sees the things that nobody else sees. You met those people who suffer silently. He sees those silent sufferings as well. But did you notice what he says? As he hears, verse 8 says, So I have come down to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Believe it or not, whilst God is speaking in the here and now to Moses in this instance. He is also speaking prophetically about one who will come. We know him as Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, who saw the oppression of sin in our lives, the debt that we could not pay on our own, 
who took on human flesh, dwelt among us, and took upon himself the sins of the world. He sees our misery. He hears the cries of our hearts. And he comes. We serve. We worship. We commune with the God who hears. And the God who loves us with an everlasting love. And the story goes on. And in this instance, God commands Moses, go back. Go back. Go to Pharaoh. Go to the ruler. The one who is oppressing my people. And tell them that I am sent you. Tell them that the God of Jacob, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, tell him that I am, says, set my people free. You ever seen the, the movie Prince of Egypt? It's a, it's a good animated movie about this and surprisingly biblically correct in many places as well. Time and time again it shows and the scriptures show that Moses says what God said. Set my people free. Let my people go. Now Moses went a wee bit reluctantly. It ended up that um, God sent his brother Aaron along with him because Moses was like, I can't do this. I have a speech impediment. I can't do it. So God sent a helper and God made a way. But time after time, God sent Moses back to Pharaoh. And each time, Pharaoh said no. And the result was a plague. And we know the story of the ten plagues, don't we? You find them in scripture. We don't have time to go into detail of all of them tonight. But anything from the Nile River, the water turning to blood, right through to the death of livestock, locusts coming upon the earth, an infestation of fleas and flies, which is horrible. But each time, Pharaoh said no. And each time, Pharaoh hardened his heart to the word of God, to the command of God. And then lastly, we come to the perhaps the worst of all of the plagues, the death of the firstborn, where God declares that unless his people be set free, the firstborn of every Egyptian household will be taken. But God still manages to use Pharaoh's disregard for his commands, the hardening of his heart, God still manages to use all of these things for his redemptive purposes. And then we come to this great theme of Passover. Passover. Exodus 12. Read the whole of Exodus 12. It gives all the intrinsic little details about what the people of Israel were to do in the build-up to the Passover. But then God says, 
On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. But the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. The first few verses talk about the need for the people of Israel to take a a young lamb and to sacrifice it to the Lord and to keep the blood. And here he gives them instruction to put it on the doorposts. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. A lasting ordinance. God gives the people of Israel a way out. And he says, follow my instruction. Pharaoh did not follow my instruction to let the people go. He said no ten times. But I give you the option. Follow my instruction. And I'll spare you. I will liberate you. I will take you to the land that is flowing with milk and honey. And the people of Israel followed the Lord's command. And it says at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on the throne, to the firstborn of the prisoner, who was in the dungeon. And the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night. And there was loud wailing in Egypt. For there was not a house without someone dead. And you're thinking, flip me, pastor. This is a bit heavy for tonight. Sunday night, we're tired, we're warm. But this is so important for us. As we look at this theme of Passover, this again has a prophetic element. The scriptures say that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And as we consider this theme of Passover this evening, as we consider it as part of of the book of Exodus, but also part of the whole of Scripture, it points to a Passover lamb. It points to the Lamb of God, the Lamb that we just sung about, the Lion and the Lamb, and the Lion of Judah became the Lamb of God and laid down his life for the sins of the world. And as the blood of that young lamb in the book of Exodus was smeared on the doorposts, as the door was covered in the blood of the lamb and the the occupants therein were spared from this destructive plague, when we give our lives to Jesus Christ and accept his sacrifice, And we celebrated communion together and learned afresh 
of the new covenant that was made in his blood. That we could have relationship with God and the forgiveness of sins. As we accept that free gift of salvation, we are covered in the blood of the Lamb. And there will come a day, it's called Judgment Day, when he shall come again, and all of us will be judged according to our deeds, according to what we have done. But God, on that day, if we are the people of God who have accepted this free gift of salvation, God will not see the mistakes. God will not see the misdemeanors. God will not see the things that we regret the most. But if we have given ourselves to Jesus Christ and live lives of holiness for him, God will see the blood of his son and he will welcome us in. And the Passover spared the people of Israel that night. But the Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, he gives us life and life abundant as he laid down his own life so that we could be saved. Passover lamb. And then the people, they escape in the dead of night. After this has happened, Pharaoh says, off with you. Don't want you no more. Get out. And the people of Israel, get out. And as they go towards this land that God has prepared for them, they are chased because Pharaoh has changed his mind. And they come to this big sea, the Red Sea. Anybody here walk on water? No? I always thought, have you ever been to Carrick? And you've looked across and you've went, Bangor's just over there, but I have to drive all the way through Belfast to get the Bangor. Wouldn't it be great if we could just walk across? The people of Israel, to get to where God was sending them, had to cross. There was no infrastructure that would have meant that they could have jumped on to the M3 and down into, down into Belfast and through to Bangor. But the people of God needed to get to the other side. And they turn and they complain to Moses. And they say, for goodness sake, we're hungry. For goodness sake, have you brought us out here to die? The Egyptians are chasing us. If we had just stayed in Egypt, it would have all been all right. Which is ridiculous. Because they were being oppressed. But then God spoke to Moses and said, strike the water with your staff. And I will make a way. And the scripture tells us, go and read it. Book of Exodus is brilliant. In my own devotional time in the mornings after I drop Chloe off at work, I'm I'm reading through the book of Exodus at the minute because it's a gripping, gripping story. Go and read it. But the people of Israel, and they estimate there was probably about a million of them, walk across through the middle of the sea on dry land. God parted the sea. And made a way for them. And the scriptures also say that as soon as the heel of the last Israelite touched solid ground on the other side, 
the path closed up. And not one Israelite was lost that day. And then the book goes on and it tells great stories. It tells stories of God's grace and his restoration of his people as well. But it also tells of a covenant partnership that God makes with his people. When they came to a place called Mount Sinai, this happened. Then Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Bear in mind, this is the creator of the universe, the one who formed us together in our mother's womb, the one who has created all things. And he says, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. And although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God enters into covenant partnership with his people. A covenant is a promise that is made between two parties. It's a big deal. God makes a promise to the people and he says look keep my covenant and you will be for me a kingdom of priests you will be a holy nation and you will be my treasured possession and the story goes on into chapter 20 and there is this giving of ten commandments This new covenant that God has given to the people. This covenant partnership begins and God says, put no other gods before me. I'm your God. And he gives them instruction on how they can love him and how they can love others. And then he gives 52 follow-up commandments that expound, that expand upon what he's already given them. It goes away to, okay, these are the commands and this is how you can go about it. And this is how you can do it. God spells out the requirements of his people. And he says, I want to be with you. I want to dwell with you, but I am a holy God. And for a holy God to dwell with people, they need to be a holy people. And this covenant partnership is entered into. But what do you think the people of Israel do? It's not very long before they break their end of the bargain. You ever, you ever made a, a covenant with somebody? Uh, you ever promised, oh, I love this one, where people go, do you promise not to tell anyone? Oh, I. No worries. Sometimes I make stuff up. 
just to see if I can trust the person. Because if I hear about it in a couple of weeks, you know that they've broken that promise. Right? But whenever somebody gives you their word and then they break it, it hurts, doesn't it? And it stinks. And it's difficult to process. It's difficult to wrap our heads around. And sometimes, even as the people of God, we can be guilty of viewing God as this emotionless creature who doesn't feel pain. But the people of God broke their covenant. They broke their word to him in many different ways. One of the ways was by worshipping a golden calf, breaking their commandments time after time, multiple commandments at once. And God was hurt. The heart of God felt sorrow and pain because all he wanted to do was bless his people. All he wanted to do was be with his people. But they broke his covenant with them. He didn't break his covenant, his side of the bargain, but they broke theirs. And it grieved the heart of God. And then the book of Exodus goes on, and we don't have time to cover all of it. But the last point for us this evening is this, that another theme of the book of Exodus is that we are to go with God. God and Moses have this really good relationship in the book of Exodus. Moses gets access to God that the people of God don't seem to even get. And as the leader of the people, God calls Moses again and he says, I'm going to be faithful to the promise that I made you. I'm going to lead you. In fact, I'm going to give you the land that is flowing with milk and honey, the land that belongs to the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Parasites and the Jebusites and all the others. All the others. He says, I'm going to be faithful to that promise, but I'm not going with you. But I'm not going with you. Because you've broken the covenant. Because I'm a holy God and I must be among a holy people. I'll keep my end of the bargain, but I'm not going with you. And then in Exodus chapter 33, there is this excellent, excellent dialogue between Moses and the Lord. And it says, Moses said to the Lord, You've been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. And then the Lord replied, my presence will go with you. And I will give you rest. And then perhaps the crux of the whole book of Exodus is found in Exodus 33 and verse 15. 
Then Moses said to him, him being the Lord God, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else would distinguish me from your people and me and your people and all from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. Moses has just been told that God is going to give them everything that he has promised to the people of Israel. But that he won't go with them because of their sinfulness, because they turned their back on him. And then, but Moses knew that even though he would get everything that God promised him, God's presence was worth so much more. God's presence was worth so much more. And as the people of God, we need to go with God. We need to go with God. We must not be a people who put the blessing above the blesser. God is faithful and God keeps his promises, every single one of them. But a key theme of the book of Exodus is this, that we are to go with God. God doesn't promise us that that road will be a good road. Probably a bit like the Castle Ray Road sometimes, a bit bobbly in parts. He doesn't promise us that it's always going to be smooth sailing. But what he does promise us is this, that if we are the holy people of God, that he will go with us. Let us not be a people who put the blessing above the blesser. Let us not be a people who put the blessings of God above God himself. But let us be a people who say, no matter what, rain, hail, or snow, We are going to be a people who follow Jesus. We are going to be a people who go with God. If your presence does not go with us, and I know that this verse is so important to certain people in this room tonight, and it's a verse that will go down in the history of this church in years to come. Unless your presence goes with us, Don't take us up from here. Church, don't leave this place without asking the Lord for more of his presence. Don't leave this place tonight as we've considered the book of Exodus, just thinking, oh, well, that was was all right. That was good. I learned something there tonight. Don't leave thinking those things. Leave thinking, I want to go deeper with God. And unless his presence goes with me, I don't want to go anywhere. I don't want to do anything. Let us be a people who place the presence of God 
in our lives above every other thing. Because Jesus said, didn't he, in the book of Matthew as he was preaching the Sermon on the Mount, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things that we worry about, all these things that we desire and want, all these things that we need, in line with the will of God, then all these things shall be added unto you. Let us be a people who seek presence above all else. And let us be a people who know the love of a saviour in a very personal way that says it doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been. It's all about where you're going. If you cling to me, I'll go with you. Will we pray?